Conventional songwriting tips tend to exist for a reason. It's usually because a whole bunch of people all tried the same things with really good results. So everybody kind of says the same tips over and over. But it's also the case that sometimes there are some unconventional songwriting tips that maybe aren't talked about very much, or maybe not a lot of people have actually tried that still can be super effective and can be a great tool to add to your songwriting toolbox. So in this episode, we're going to talk about three unconventional songwriting tips. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Honored that you take some time out of your week, out of your busy Tuesday after Thanksgiving, if you're in the U.S., and still decide to talk songwriting here with me. means a lot to me. I know you could be doing a lot of other things with your time, so I appreciate that you choose to spend it here with me. If you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free guide on the 10 different ways to start writing a song. If you're new to songwriting, it's great to have 10 different ways to start writing a song. If you just assumed that there was like one or two, or you really hadn't even thought about it. But also if you're a seasoned songwriter, I know for me, a great way to stay creatively fresh is just by changing up how I start my songs. Because if I start them all the same way, things tend to start to get sort of samey and the songs start to sound the same and my inspiration tends to sort of start to fade if I keep trying to start songs in the exact same way over and over again. So be sure to check that out, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Link in the show notes per usual. So the first unconventional songwriting tip actually has to do with melody, and that is to use a visual medium to write or edit your melody. So what do I mean by a visual medium? There's a whole bunch of ways to do this. One would be simply writing or editing your melody with an instrument like a piano or a guitar where you can actually visualize the notes in ways that you can't if you're just singing. Now, if you have perfect pitch, it might be the case that you can visualize exactly the pitches that you're singing. But for the rest of us mere mortals, Really, we have an idea of maybe the notes we're singing when we sing, but we really can't visualize it in the same way as if we play a melody on the piano. Then you can see, oh, that's a perfect fourth, and oh, that's a minor third. When we sing, though, we tend to not think that way. But you can think that way. In fact, you're almost forced to by the fact that you are visualizing what the melody actually is when you're playing it on piano or guitar. And certainly this would apply to most instruments, as with most instruments, there's a a pretty distinct way to visualize the notes, but piano is probably towards the top of the list here because that's probably the easiest instrument of all to actually visualize notes and intervals, even easier than guitar, because with guitar you have different strings and stuff, whereas with piano it's very straightforward when you're going up by four semitones or down by four semitones compared to maybe a guitar where it's a little less overtly obvious. Although if you're good at guitar and you know your notes, it should be about the same. Another visual medium you could use is if you're using music writing software like Finale or the free online music notation software called NoteFlight. Uh, or anything else like that. I think Sibelius is one of them, although I've never used that one. But anything where you literally can write your music into a type of software 
or on paper would also be a great way to have a visual medium for your melody. And then also your piano roll MIDI in your recording software. So anytime you record with MIDI, which is usually any form of keyboard, you're recording in MIDI. It's basically just information. So instead of recording the sound, you're actually recording the progression of information. Like at this moment, a D5 is being played for 1.23 seconds, stuff like that. That's <laughs> probably the best way I could describe it out loud. Uh, but if you know what MIDI is and if you've seen MIDI before, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's another visual medium where you can actually see your melody and the different leaps and steps that you have in your melody. So ultimately, why? Why, why should we care about maybe editing or writing our melody in a way that there's also a visual element? And I think one of the biggest reasons is that you can visualize your melody. You often can see the possible flaws that you might not see when you are just singing it. So if you don't really know what your melody looks like and you're singing your melody, it might not be immediately obvious to you what the problem might be. So you may not have noticed that your melody is kind of boring until you see it and realize, oh, well, that, that's, that's why this feels a little bit off. That's why it's boring is because the whole song is within a perfect fourth. It's like the, the whole range of the song is non-existent. So, of course, the chorus falls flat because it doesn't really go anywhere. And overall, it's just easier to diagnose a flaw in your melody when you're able to see it and hear it compared to just seeing it. Or I guess I should say compared to just hearing it because the default is to just hear it, right? If we're singing it, we're just hearing our melody. But if we also can see our melody and hear our melody, it's going to be way easier to diagnose, okay, I noticed this pre-chorus isn't really working, and now I can see why, because it doesn't really build to the chorus. And, you know, may maybe the verse and the chorus both don't leverage leaps very much. It's mostly steps. And then the pre-chorus is also just steps, which is not necessarily a problem, but it might be a problem in the context of your song. Now, overall, while I think that this is helpful because it adds one more tool to your melody writing toolbox, where instead of just relying on how it sounds by itself, you also have a visual way to diagnose it possible issues. It is important not to let sight override hearing. What you don't want to do is to be convinced when you hear your melody that there is nothing wrong and then end up changing it anyway because the, it, it doesn't pass the visual test. Ultimately, a melody and all music is, is sound in, in nature, right? How it looks is, does not matter at all. It, do, it doesn't matter at all. The only reason that we care about how it looks is that it can be a helpful tool to diagnose what might be wrong, not, not to treat that like the be-all, end-all. And th there's, a, there's a nuance between the two that is important to, to be able to sort, sort of ride that line. But ultimately, it just comes down to use the visual medium it will usually help you to write better melodies and also 
will help you diagnose possible issues in the melodies you've already written. But ultimately, it shouldn't be the case that sight trumps hearing, right? Because ultimately, what hearing, what you're hearing is what matters. Another unconventional songwriting tip. Try not listening to other music. Why? Well, one reason is that creativity is often best found in silence, which should be intuitive to us. But I think in today's world, it's become less intuitive because sometimes we are too caught up in constant consumption to even allow our brain to wander and create without receiving any inputs. And I can be guilty of this as well. I think probably everybody listening to this, if there's one thing we all have in common, is that we all somewhat struggle with this. There is, I, I have to intentionally have silence, otherwise it will never happen, unless I'm actively creating something. Because usually I think of it as, oh, I'm cooking. I can't cook in silence. This is a good time to catch up on the different YouTube videos that I want to watch. But I don't want to waste too much time on YouTube, so I double dip and I cook and watch YouTube videos. And then, you know, you're in the car and it's like, oh, it's a great time to listen to a podcast, which it, it is a great time to listen to a podcast. But it also can be a time to just default to, oh, I'll turn Spotify on or Apple Music or whatever you use and just listen to music. A lot of people, when they're working, they end up just listening to music as they work. And overall, in today's day and age, we are all so conditioned to be consuming constantly to the point that like a lot of people have like quit reading because of all the things to consume, reading is like not as, I don't know what the right word is, simple. I don't want to say it's worse. It's obviously not worse. Reading is great. But like, it's really easy to like turn on a TV and just shut your brain down and, and boom, consumption. Right, whether that's YouTube or TV show or movie, doesn't really matter. And even podcasts and something that's auditory kind of kind of forces forces you to listen in a way that you don't really have when you're reading. When you're reading, it's easy to be distracted by your phone buzzing or some other screen. Re really, just screens are distracting, and we're not usually reading on screens. So it's, it's, it's easy for reading to also fall by the wayside. And I think the reason for that is just we are so conditioned to screen and auditory stimulation all the time. And overall, that's not going to help with our creativity. And specifically, if you've struggled with writing songs that sound like cheap copies of other songs it can really be helpful to specifically avoid consuming music. Because a lot of times, if we are just consuming the same music over and over and over again, it's really easy to start writing songs that just sound exactly like that music. There, there, was, there was a time back in the day where I actually wrote a song or wrote a part of a song, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then I realized that a song I had been listening to recently, it was shockingly similar to. So this is actually the first time that I tried not listening to music. I, I Just as an experiment. I'm like, I'm going to not listen to music for, I don't remember how long it was, because this was like 10 years ago. I want to say it was like a month. And 
it was amazing how much more creative I got because I didn't constantly have other songs stuck in my head, which is what happens when we're listening to music all the time, right? You have different songs stuck in your head. You find yourself humming other songs. So then when you go to write songs, it makes sense that if you already have other songs stuck in your head, you can't help but have those songs sort of come out whenever you're trying to improvise and create something new. You're, you just like keep going back to that one song that you've been listening to and had in your head. And it can be difficult to really make something original sometimes. So, so what do you do instead? One is just to practice like going on a walk or sitting in silence or having a conversation instead of defaulting to always needing to have music on. When you're getting ready in the morning, you don't need to have music on. When you're working, you can listen to white or brown noise. I prefer brown noise. I think white is a little too harsh, uh, but brown noise tends to be more ocean sounding, like waves and is a little deeper. Or literally like ocean noises or rain noises. There's tons of videos and, and websites out there dedicated to that. Or even listen to really simple music that's not really meant to be memorable, uh, such as say lo-fi kind of is in that category where it's really meant to be background music or listen to podcasts in the car instead of music, which might be what you're doing right now. Um, but a benefit of that is right now we're talking about songwriting, but I'm not putting songs in your head that you're then going to accidentally just keep regurgitating when you're trying to write your own music. So overall, a good thing to practice sometimes is just not listening to other music. I found that over time I listen, I, compared to early college when I was listening to music all the time, just all the time. Now I actually am pretty intentional about when I listen to music. I, I don't default to listening to music anymore. Like that's just not a thing I do. I, I don't think like, oh, there's silence. I'll put music on. I've, I've completely gotten out of that because over time I realized like I just tend to be more creative when I I'm not constantly interfered with by me, other music that, that I'm listening to. And then being intentional about your music listening can be good too because you don't then default to what usually most of us default to, which is, you know, we have our 5, 10, 15 favorite artists and then some uh, another pool of songs we really like that are just on repeat constantly. And even if we use Pandora or something, like it's it's all going to be some of the same songs over and over based on the stuff that Pandora knows we like. And a problem with that is, A, it's really easy to get songs stuck in your head when you hear the same ones over and over again. B, when you're listening to the same several artists over and over again, it's easy to sound way too much like those artists. And this leads to another side point that I want to make with this, which is being intentional about the music you listen to and then intentionally trying to listen to significantly different music than you normally would listen to is a great idea. Because if you only write punk and you only listen to punk and punk adjacent music, then you're likely going to sound like just another stereotypical punk band. But if you're listening to an influence by J-pop and jazz and post-grunge and the latest Howard Shore soundtrack then you're more likely to bring some unique flavors to your punk music because you might borrow something from something that would be more a soundtrack sounding piece, like a Howard Shore piece. Or, or you know, bring some post-grunge elements 
that maybe aren't so punk high tempo type elements to, to your music. Um, and that can be a great way to stand out just a little bit more and not be stuck in one sound and sound like just a cheap copy of some of your favorite, favorite artists, but instead to have some elements that make you worthy of standing out a little bit. So overall, try not listening to other music. And when you do listen to other music, be intentional about it and try listening to some different music rather than the same stuff that you really like. The people that are really going to be in the biggest trouble are the people who are like, I'm a country fan and I make country music. Like, good luck because you're, you're, and I'm not picking on country here. I'm just, just insert any genre into there. Although I do notice that country does seem to be one of those genres that like gets people that only only listen and write country more so than some other genres. But that's purely anecdotal. But anyway, I'm not picking on country. Just in general, if you have a one genre that is kind of your thing, uh, you are in most danger of just sounding like yet another of that genre in the most stereotypical way. And you can be influenced by music in a positive way, even that you don't like, because you might not like the song or the genre, but there's an element in the song that you're like, but that was interesting. So for example, I'm not, I'm not a big country guy. I know I've gotten emails from people that are like, Hey, you should listen to this artist and maybe you'll change your mind. Like, I, yes, I know I'm not a country guy, but that doesn't mean that I can't borrow something from a country song. I'm like, Oh, actually I, I do kind of like the sound of, Maybe the steel guitar in certain contexts or something like that. I know I'm picking out something really stereotypical, but <laughs> uh, so try not listening to other music. And when you do, try listening to something different. Finally, one that if you've been a listener for a while, you've heard me say before, but I'm going to say it again because it's very important. And it's one of those things that. So most people I feel like tell you almost the opposite or people just default to this and it drives me crazy because I, I, I think it's such a big mistake. Don't start with the chord progression. Longtime listeners are not surprised at all. But why? Why should you not start with a chord progression? One is that in the list of important elements of your song, it's really hard for me to imagine a chord progression being any higher than number four. Melody is definitely more important. Any main hook, like a guitar hook or a bass line or a piano hook is definitely more important. And lyrics are almost certainly more important. Now that's where I might get some people pushing back, but for the most part, I would argue that way more people notice and care about lyrics than notice and care about a chord progression. And specifically here, I'm not going to count chord progressions that also are riffs because sometimes there's something where like, take Smoke on the Water. Smoke on the Water, technically, that riff that everybody knows is a chord progression. But really, it's used like a guitar hook. It just happens to utilize power chords to, to, to play that hook. So that really is more a hook than it is a chord progression. So I would argue if you wrote a song that started like 
smoke on the water. Really, you wrote a hook that happened to utilize chords. You didn't really write a chord progression in a traditional sense. And for the most part, people don't, don't notice chord progressions. And usually if you do, it's because it's a really typical chord progression and you're rolling your eyes. And yes, I know some people notice chord progressions, but those people tend to be the people like us who write songs. But tons of people notice lyrics and care about lyrics who aren't songwriters, who aren't musicians. That and just as a songwriter, especially if your story is that you were a musician and now you have learned to write songs because you thought, you know what seems cooler than playing other people's music? Playing my own music. A huge tendency is for those people to way, way undervalue lyrics. Why? Because you don't come from a background of being a writer and being a poet. You come from a background of being a musician. That's like a movie director who comes from uh, a background of, you know, being a, a, a camera person, right? Somebody actually behind the camera who's thinking about camera angles and lighting and that sort of thing. And then they write a movie, right? But it's like, well, maybe you suck at writing a movie or, or you're not going to put much effort into writing a movie, a screenplay specifically, because that's not your background, right? Um, so, so sometimes it might be the case that certain movie directors who end up writing movies, even though they're great at a lot of the things that have to do with being a director, they might undervalue the whole, you know, the actual story in the screenplay because that's not their background. Their background was, oh, but this camera angle is so great. And look what I did filmography wise and look how amazing the CGI looks. But ultimately, the people that are consuming the movie care about all of those things, not just one part of those things. And also just as a side thing, and I know I've said this before, but if you're new here, I, I want to make sure that that, that I, I make this point. All the people who say lyrics don't matter, nobody notices lyrics. Beyond the fact that that's just not true. If you go to certain artists that care about their lyrics and you read like the YouTube comments, you'll see people quoting the lyrics. You'll see people talking about what the lyric means to them. Tons of people care about lyrics. But here's the thing. If you write songs and don't put effort into your lyrics, saying, oh, lyrics don't matter, nobody cares, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because the only people who will like your songs are people who don't care about lyrics because you didn't care about lyrics you therefore wrote crap lyrics, and therefore the only people that would ever like your songs are people who don't care about lyrics. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And ultimately, if you have great lyrics, you can have people who don't care about lyrics and people who care about lyrics who like your music. But if you don't put effort into lyrics, then all the people who do care about lyrics are going to automatically not give your music a chance because your lyrics suck. So why should they care? Anyway, all to say... <laughs> that I think chord progression is at best the fourth most important thing. But I argue in a song that has like a bass line, a, a main guitar hook, a piano hook, a melody, lyrics, all of those things are way more important. That, that specific bass line that's being played, the specific guitar hook, the specific piano, all of those things are things people are going to notice way before they're going to notice a chord progression. Which is not to say chord progressions aren't important, I just think that they're not important enough to justify being the first thing that people write because ultimately 
songwriting is a funnel. I have a whole episode on this. I won't spend much time on this, but basic idea is you have the most creative room at the beginning when you have no limitations, right? You could write it in any key. You could, you could have any tempo, any time signature, but then as you make creative decisions, you have less and less creative room. Once you have a melody, you can't have any lyrics that go with that melody beyond the fact that like, yes, the, the lyrics and the melody should match feel. There's also the meter. The meter of the lyrics needs to match the actual rhythm of the melody. You can't have a melody, like a melodic line that's five notes long and then have 30 syllables that go along with it just to take it to an extreme to make my point. Um, you know, so so you have to match the syllables with the notes that you have in a melodic line. And again, we won't dive too deep into this. I think I've, I have a whole episode about this. I have a YouTube video about this. So if you're curious about the songwriting as a funnel concept, go dive in with, with one of those. But overall, the idea is you have the most creative room at the beginning. So you should use that creative room on parts of your song that are actually important. So if, if, if you want to write a song with a killer bass line, the best way to do that is to start with the bass line, to write a killer bass line and then build the song off of that. That's the easiest way. If you wait until you've already written the chord progression and the melody and all this other stuff, and then you're trying to fit in a great bass line, it's going to be way harder to have a killer bass line than if you did at the beginning. Uh, this isn't, this is mostly true musically. Uh, I think lyrics you can save till last and still have killer lyrics as long as you're willing to put the time into lyrics. I think lyrics takes the most time if you really care about lyrics and want to write a great lyric. Uh, but ultimately, whether you do them at the beginning or the end, in my opinion, there really isn't much of a difference. But musically, it certainly is the case um, that generally it's easier to write something that's killer if you if you do it at the beginning. So that's why... In my opinion, starting with a chord progression should be one of the not most used ways to start a song. I know that sentence was incredibly clunky. So I think that it's better if you start with a guitar hook or a bass line or piano hook or on a lyrical side, starting with a song title or a lyrical line or a really interesting and compelling symbolism those are all better ways to start your song, generally. Because then you're going to almost guarantee that your guitar hook is killer, your bass line is killer, your piano hook is killer, your song title is killer. And, and all those things, I think, are way more important than a chord progression. Now, to be clear, I don't think that chord progressions should, should never be the beginning of a song. I just think that it seems to me that the default for a lot of songwriters is chord progression, especially novice songwriters, to the point that if I were to guess, a lot of newer songwriters, probably 90% of their songs, they start with a chord progression, right? They grab a guitar, come up with a chord progression, and that's how they start writing a song and have never even considered doing another way. Maybe like the 10% the is the one out of 10 songs they've written so far that they actually came up with the melody first or lyrics or something. And I think that that should be flip-flopped. I think uh, probably a more appropriate percentage of songs that you should start with a chord progression are like 
because it, it can be valuable, especially if you do want to write a killer chord progression, which I think is rare anyway. But if you really want to write a kind of exotic, interesting chord progression, then yeah, of course, starting with that is a way to go. But most songs don't really have interesting chord progressions. The parts that are interesting are the piano hooks and the bass lines and all the other stuff, not the chord progression. The chord progression tends to be fairly pedestrian in a lot of songs, but it doesn't really matter because the chord progression is not the be-all, end-all. The hooks and the melodies and all the other harmonies tend to be way more important. So there's anything wrong with the chord progression first. I just think it's often one of the less ideal ways. So if you have defaulted to starting with a chord progression, try something else. And on that something else, if you don't know what else to start with, even though I did give you a list of like six ways, guitar hook, bass line, piano hook, song title, lyrical line, symbolism. If you want more ways, again, check out my free guide, 10 different ways to start writing a song, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. That's where I talk about the different ways to start writing a song. Honestly, I made that guide out of a frustration might not be the right word, but it kind of is the right word. A frustration of the realization that so many people defaulted and I think so many other songwriting content creators out there, it's just like taken for granted. Like, oh, of course you start with a chord progression. And I'm like, why, why is that? Of course, <laughs> like, especially because in my experience, that is one of the w worst ways to start a song. Maybe worst is, is not the right way of, of framing it, but it's certainly not the best. I, like it, to me, it is so clearly not the best that it, it's just shocking to me that like it, it's almost taken for granted. Like, oh, that's how you start songs is chord progressions. And that's kind of the background to why I made that guide, frankly, because I think that creatively you will open yourself up to so many more options and so much more awesome stuff if you just open yourself up to starting songs from different standpoints other than let me grab my guitar and start with a chord progression or grab my keyboard or piano and start with a chord progression. There's way better ways to start songs. There's way more ways to start songs, even if even if you don't end up agreeing with me that there are better ways. Uh, that is going to be somewhat subjective, of course. Um, I'm sure you will find that, yes, it is helpful at least to have other ways to start songs in your toolbox other than starting with a chord progression. So again, grab that, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Hopefully this episode was helpful to you. Thank you to all of you who have left kind reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I do appreciate that. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to me that you're willing to listen to the podcast and you could be listening to Joe Rogan or somebody else like that, but you chose to listen to this. Uh, means a lot to me means even more to me when uh, you go out of your way to leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this. If you haven't already and you've been wondering, you know what? I've been getting great value from Songwriter Theory, whether it's on the YouTube side or on the podcast side. Great way that you can help me out is simply by leaving a kind review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and hope hopefully you're willing to do that even if even if you feel slighted by my anti-starting with a chord progression uh, mentality that some people don't, don't love. But that's okay. That's okay. Try starting with something other than a chord progression. If you are the person that has never even considered doing something else, try starting with something else. That's my challenge to you. 
and go leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you, and I'll talk to you in the next one.